0: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth. I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. So if you don't have a Bible and would like one, um, if you raise your hand, we'll come and bring you one. So this is Jeremiah chapter 28 verses one to 17 and will be page 545 in the White Sea Bibles. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hadaniah, son of Azor, who was from Gideon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who are standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord, only if his prediction prediction comes true. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said before all the people, This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all of the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I will even give him control over all the wild animals. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth. You'll find an outline of the talk on the uh, back of your handout, if that's helpful for you. And if you keep your Bible open at Jeremiah chapter 28, you'll also find that helpful, I think. Well, I hope that you're interested in hearing from God. In fact, I hope you're keen to hear from God. Imagine you're walking around campus and you see these posters everywhere saying, a meeting at one o'clock Tuesday in Winthrop Hall, guest speaker, God. Would you go? I hope you would. You might be a bit sceptical and think you'll only get Albanese, but if you thought it could actually be God speaking, wouldn't you want to be there? I would. In fact, let's cancel this and go. But for most of history and most religions, we're not expecting God to show up, but God to speak through prophets, his human mouthpieces. So if you want to hear from God, what you do, you listen to the prophets. Muhammad recorded that uh, he was up on a mountain and the archangel Gabriel appeared to him and spoke to him and relayed messages from Allah to him Uh, to speak to the people. Later on, uh, Gabriel took him on a journey into heaven and hell. He met with Moses uh, uh, and uh, Abraham and Jesus and other prophets. He was face to face with God himself and returned to earth and passed on the message of God. He He claimed to be the last and greatest prophet. Is Muhammad a true prophet or a false prophet? It's very easy to claim, isn't it? You could stand up and say, I'm a prophet, thus says the Lord. But how do we know? Are you a true prophet or not? Even within Christianity, there's lots of different beliefs and different people saying, believe this, believe that. I'm a true prophet. I tell you the truth, but we don't agree with each other. I've been in two churches where people have made prophecies, solemn prophecies. In one, a man got up and declared that God had told him that the senior pastor would lose his church, God would remove his ministry, and that would be the end of that church. That's a slightly awkward prophecy to have, isn't it? About three months later, a a huge storm went through, and the church building was partially destroyed. You think, is that God doing what the guy said? I was in another church where the associate pastor stood up, And claimed that God had told him that the lead pastor was not anointed by God. And so everybody should stop listening to him and only listen to the guy speaking to leave that church. That was pretty unsettling for all of us who were part of that church. In the 1990s in Perth, I'm old enough to have been here then. um, There was a, a huge conference, Christian conference, where they asked prominent Christian prophets from around the world to come to Perth. And during that conference, a group of them stood up, including uh, J.D. Jakes, if you've heard of him, T.D. Jakes, and they said that God had told them that within a year there would be a massive revival in Perth. Thousands of thousands of people would come to faith in Christ. Should we believe them? Who do we believe? Well, in Jeremiah's chapters Jeremiah chapters 25 to 29, we come into a part of Jeremiah where Jeremiah and other prophets are sort of contesting for truth. Where are we? Well, chapter 25 begins in 605 BC, the first year of Jehoiakim uh, king. Uh, But it bounces around a little bit. Um, uh, Some of it is before 609 when Jehoiakim becomes king, some of it later under Zedekiah. But the thing that holds this section together is that it's about the words of the prophets. Who is a true prophet? Who is not a true prophet? We've seen in Jeremiah that gradually through the prophet Jeremiah, God has dismantled everything that the people of Judah put confidence in. The temple, the covenant, their election, and the king of the line of David. But we find out in chapters 25 to 29 that all the way through this, There have been other prophets speaking as well as Jeremiah, saying usually the exact opposite of Jeremiah, undermining everything that he's been saying. The section begins in chapter 25 with a bit of a a downer. Jeremiah says, or God says to Jeremiah, you've been speaking my words now for 23 years and they've had no effect whatsoever. 23 years is a long time, isn't it? That's longer than most of you have lived. He's been speaking the same words, but the people of Judah have not listened. They have not turned. And so God says, because of that, I will now destroy them. I won't give them any more chances. There is no more hope for Israel in the current situation. And he says that Babylon will come and the king of Babylon will rule them for 70 years. God has finally run out of patience. And the the possibility of judgment is now a certainty. It's locked in. This is what's going to happen. Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, are going to... Well, he's my servant, and he will inflict my judgment on Judah. And you might think, well, that means Jeremiah's job's finished. (laughs) There's no more message to give. What's he going to say? Well, actually, there is. Because in this situation... God wants the people to know how to respond to the Babylonians. You see, if it's locked in that Babylon is going to conquer Judah, then you've got to work out how to respond when Nebuchadnezzar's troops come on the scene. It's only a year and a half ago or so that the troops, Russian troops, were amassing around Ukraine. And Ukraine had to decide, will we fight or won't we fight? Now, imagine that Zelensky actually knew for a certainty that when Russia invaded, Russia would win. Imagine he knew that for a certainty. Then what would he do? Well, he probably wouldn't fight. That's a whole lot of waste of manpower, buildings being destroyed, infrastructure uh, smashed. Better just to roll over and let them roll in if you know the outcome. Jeremiah, by God, knows the outcome. And so he says to Jerusalem, he says to Judah, Just roll over. That's his message to them, a message that God wants them to hear and respond to. But as he delivers this pessimistic verdict, there are competing voices. There's Jeremiah, but there's also other prophets. And we discover they've been there all along, claiming to speak for God. They're all saying, thus says the Lord. But they're saying different things to Jeremiah, the opposite message. In Jeremiah chapter 26, we hear about some of these other prophets. at the beginning of Jehoiakim's reign, about 609 BC. Jeremiah goes into the temple precincts to warn that the temple will be destroyed, just like Shiloh had been destroyed. But as he speaks, as verse 8, As soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the peoples everything the Lord had commanded him, the priests, the prophets and all the people seized him and says, Jeremiah... You've got to die. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city desolate and deserted? We don't want to hear that. Shut up, Jeremiah. Way back in chapter 8, we've been told prophets and priests are like, dress the wound of my people as if they weren't serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Prophets have been saying, peace, peace, it'll all turn out okay. Everything will be fine. While Jeremiah is saying, trouble, trouble, trouble is coming. People are hearing these two competing different voices. Jeremiah alone, one voice. And the union of prophets putting out their official statements week after week after week. It's going to be peace. It's all going to be okay. Just, Just relax. Don't panic. Don't listen to Jeremiah. In chapter 27, God tells Jeremiah to again go into the the centre of Jerusalem, to the temple. There's sort of a G6 summit happening. Um, The the leaders of Judah Judah are gathering with some of the surrounding nations, from Moab and Ammon, some of the others, and they're getting together to work out, can they rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon? Because at this stage, Babylon has subdued Jerusalem and taken off some of the treasures from the temple Back to Babylon as loot. And God tells Jeremiah, go into the meeting and wear a yoke around your neck. Now, you may not know what a yoke is. This is a yoke. It's a thing that sort of controls wild animals. Make them do what you want them to do. And Jeremiah is told to go in and say, this is what Babylon is going to do to all of you. You will come under the yoke of Babylon. But there are other prophets there. Jeremiah 12, bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. But there are other prophets. And so Jeremiah says, don't listen to the words of the other prophets who say to you, you won't serve the king of Babylon. They're prophesying prophesying lies. I haven't sent them. They're prophesying lies in my name. Do you see the claims and counterclaims? Jeremiah, I speak for God. They're saying we speak for God. Jeremiah is saying, don't believe them. They're saying, don't believe Jeremiah. How do you work this sort of thing out? Well, Jeremiah says, don't listen to them. In chapter 28 that we've just read, one of these prophets is named Hananiah. And he comes and he says things in in verse 2, Hananiah prophesies, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I'll bring back to this place Jehoiakim, the king who's, who's been exiled as well, declares the Lord, for I'll break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Here's Jeremiah wearing his yoke and Hananiah saying, no, God's going to break that yoke. What you've said isn't going to be true. Instead, it's good news that I've got for you. And what's Jeremiah's response? Well, you heard it uh, as uh, Elizabeth read in verse 6. Amen. May the Lord do what you've said. Wouldn't it be fantastic? I'd love that to happen. But it's not going to happen. It's lies. Don't believe Hananiah. He hasn't been sent by God. Now, imagine being there. You're listening to Hananiah, you're listening to Jeremiah. They're both saying we speak for God. They're both using the same language. The Lord Almighty says, who do you believe? How do you sort it out? It's not easy. Chapter 29 continues. Now Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles who've already been taken to Babylon. Uh, And he says to them, you're going to be there for 70 years. Just imagine that. 70 years from now is what year? Two thousand and ninety three. Any of you started to think about the year two thousand and ninety three? What are you going to be doing then? What will life be like? That's generations away, isn't it? And that's what Jeremiah says to them. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what you produce, marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters so they have sons and daughters. Increase in number, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, Babylon, to which I've carried you into exile. But notice what he says next. Jeremiah writes this letter to the exiles in Babylon. He says, don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams uh, you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them. The Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. There's prophets over in Babylon saying the opposite of Jeremiah as well. He goes on in this letter to say, This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfil my promise to bring you back from this land. But not for 70 years. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Yes, I do have plans to prosper you, but they're not next year. They're not in two years' time. They're not for 70 years. They're a long time away after the exile. Jeremiah is one of these prophets in Babylon. And he actually wrote a letter back to Jerusalem to counter what Jeremiah is saying. And in this letter, he says, you should put any maniac who acts like a prophet into stocks and neck irons. Why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah who poses as a prophet among you? See what he's saying? Jeremiah, he's false. Don't trust him. Don't believe him. Put him in stocks. Arrest him. Do away with him. Competing voices. How do you know who is true and who isn't? Well, Jeremiah, the book, gives us three criteria to try and work it out. How do you work out true prophets versus false prophets? The first one is the outcome of their predictions. We saw that in chapter 28. And it's a very helpful criteria, isn't it? Verse 9, the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognised as... As one truly sent by the Lord, only if his prediction comes true. If it doesn't come true, they're a false prophet. If it does come true, they're probably, they might be a true prophet. The other side isn't quite as clear and, uh, uh, um, and solid. And that is really helpful, isn't it? Because it rules out many. If what they prophesy doesn't come true, they're not a true prophet. Jeremiah prophesies at the end of chapter 28 uh, about Hananiah, that he would die within a year. And what happens? Seven months later, he dies. God removes one of the false prophets, although he doesn't remove the rest of them. That's only one. But this criteria is not as helpful as you might think, because often you've got to work out who who to listen to before what they predict might come true or not come true. Jeremiah says you're going to be in exile for seventy years. They say, no, God will bring you back in two years, but you've got to decide today who you'll believe. How do you do it before it happens? In retrospect, it's it's easy. In fact, the reason we have the book of Jeremiah in our Bibles today is because Jeremiah's predictions came true. Everything he said was authenticated, and so he was recognised as a true prophet. Afterwards, you can tell for sure, even though at the time you can't. That's why we have his book here, but we don't have the book of Hananiah. He's not here. He was a false prophet. And as I think about some of the prophecies I've heard, like T.D. Jakes and others, they didn't come true. They were false prophets, one and all. But it does mean we need another more immediate criteria. And Jeremiah gives us that again in verse 8 of chapter 28. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace, well, that's the one you're to be sceptical about. So if they always, all the prophets, he says, have always been prophets of doom. The default is to expect a prophet to speak about war and disaster and plagues. If you hear something different, then be suspicious. Assume probably the worst about them. Now, that might seem strange to you. Why would God always only prophesy doom? Is he some sort of doom monger or something? Well, it's because the prophets prophesy within the framework of the covenant that God gave them through Moses. And in that covenant, God committed himself to bless Israel. All they needed to do was stay faithful to him. As long as they did, as long as he was their God and they obeyed him, God would bless them. And if God's blessing them and everything's going on all right, you don't need a prophet, do you? But the covenant says that if you turn away from God, if you start to worship other gods, if you practise treachery with each other, then God will send judgment. He won't come straight away, but uh, judgment will come. You'll go into exile. And that's when you need a prophet. A prophet who will bring the generous, kind warning of God. The the prophet who will warn you before the hammer lands. Who will expose the problem and sound the warning. Come on, wake up guys. Look at what's happening. And call you to repentance. Under the covenant, you'd expect the prophet's default to be one of judgment. And Jeremiah fits the scene. The third one. We see in chapter 29, verse 8. Chapter 29, verse 8. He says, Don't listen to the dreams you encourage the prophets to have. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, a prophet who tells you what you want to hear, who just tells you what you're dreaming of, that's usually a false prophet. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? You've got to be because a false prophet, instead of thinking, What does God want me to say? We'll look around and and just sort of sniff the wind. Which way is it going? What do people want to hear? That's what I'll tell them. And it's the people who encourage that. They have their dreams. They will listen to prophets who will tell them what they want to hear. And so it's sort of symbiotic relationship. You get to hear what you want to hear. They get the popularity of people listening to them. When that's the dynamic, it's a false prophet. Jeremiah's situation People naturally want to hear, of course it's going to be okay, all will turn out well. Beware of the promise that your dream will be fulfilled. That is usually not the voice of God. Beware of the, the, the voice that tells you you will get what your heart is set on, God will give it to you. Now, a prophet will always be unpopular. But doesn't God promise us good things? Yes, He does. Isn't the gospel good news? Yes, it is, but the gospel is good news in the context of very, very bad news. The bad news of our evil and the judgment of God that's coming on it. There is no good news without that bad news. If God's words simply affirm my selfish dreams and affirm the culture that I live in, it probably isn't the word of God. Because God's word will always cut across my desires and our cultures and what I think. So it's a bit of a summary table. What are false prophets like? They, they preach peace and prosperity. They, they say what people want to hear and what they predict doesn't come true. A true prophet preaches judgment and woe, what people don't want to hear, but what they say comes true. Well, before we apply that to our own situation, I want us to think a little bit about Jesus because we know that everything God is and does, everything he says, points towards the Lord Jesus. And one, one of the, the angles on Jesus that the New Testament takes is that he is a prophet. I don't know whether you think about Jesus like that very much, but it's certainly a truth that he is a prophet, but not just a prophet. The prophet. The true prophet. Way back in Deuteronomy, Six well, a thousand years probably nine hundred years before uh, Jeremiah, God says this to Moses: "The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet, or Moses says this, like me, like Moses from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him." See, Moses was a sort of a different prophet because he, he was unique in that God spoke to him. He spoke to the people of Israel and created a covenant with Israel. The prophets after Moses simply commentate on that covenant. They don't add anything to it in particular. But God promises one day there'll be another prophet, the prophet like Moses, who creates a new covenant between God and his people. And when he comes, listen to him. He's the one you need to recognise as not just a prophet, but the true prophet. And when you think about Jesus, he was like a prophet, wasn't he? He taught with authority. That's what prophets do. But he was sort of different. Instead of saying, thus says the Lord, what did Jesus do? He said, I say to you. It's remarkably, it's stunningly different, isn't it? To all the prophets who came before him. In terms of the tests of prophecies. Well, did Jesus predict the future? And did it come true? Yeah, absolutely. Many times he predicted his own death. He gave details about it, who would arrest him, who would kill him. And his resurrection, it came true. He predicted that Rome would besiege Jerusalem. And it would be so terrible in Jerusalem that there would never be another time in history as bad as that. And it would all happen within a generation of him speaking. In 66 AD, the Roman troops, the legions, besieged Jerusalem and for four years, life was unbearable in Jerusalem till it finally fell in 70 AD. Jerusalem and the temple itself were totally demolished, smashed to pieces by Rome, just as Jesus said. Did he preach judgment? Yes, judgment on the temple, judgment on the people of God. Woe to you, whitewashed tubes. Was he unpopular? Enough to crucify him. That takes the cake, doesn't it? He has all the hallmarks of a true prophet. But much more than that, he's more than a prophet. As we said, he doesn't speak like other prophets. Thus says the Lord. He simply said, I say to you. What's that about? Well, come to Hebrews chapter 1. Where the writer looks back over the history of the world and Israel. And says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. Many times, various ways. People like Jeremiah. God gave them words to say. They saw visions and communicated those to others. But, verse 2, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Do you see the contrast there? Past to last. Prophets, son. There's something different, something new here with speaking by his son. So it's not past more recently as if there could be something else again after that. It's past and last. There's nothing more to say after this. With Jesus, with the Son, God speaking is complete. Why? Because the Son is the exact representation of God's being. The prophets were mouthpieces for God. The Son is God himself. Therefore, it's the mouth of God speaking, not a mouthpiece. In his words, I say to you, and tells us the truth. But also in his being, in what he did, he was God himself, God doing his own thing. When he fed 5,000 people out on the hills, that was God feeding them. When he lays down his life, it is God laying down his life. It's unambiguous clarity and effectiveness in what God himself does, God the Son does. The difference between a prophet and the Son is sort of like the difference between getting text messages from somebody you've never met before and then finally meeting them in person. It's very different, isn't it? Once you've met them in person, you don't go back to text messages, do you? Because they're there. You've got the real person. We've got God himself walking and talking. Once Jesus, the Son of God, has come and lived and died and risen, God has publicly, transparently spoken. He's got nothing more to say. If God was speaking up in Winthrop Hall at one o'clock today, I guess you'd go up there and if you said, God, tell us something new, what would the father do? I presume he'd just point at the son and say, I've said it all. Nothing more to say. Listen to him. Which means I think that any prophet that comes along now and says, well, I've got more to say. I can update Jesus, like Muhammad did in about 700 AD and Joseph Smith did in the 1800s and Baha'u'llah, who's the founder of Baha'i religion, did in the 1860s. They can't be true prophets. Because God has spoken in these last days through his son. Anyone claiming to update Jesus is a false prophet. You don't have to spend countless hours researching everybody who might say, I'm a prophet, I've got something more to say. I'm speaking for God. Because God has spoken. Do you want to hear God speak? He did through Jeremiah and many other Old Testament prophets. Listen to them. As you listen to them, what you'll find is that they point you to Jesus. And they say, listen to Jesus. If you're not sure where to start with that, we'd love to, to to just read with you one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Read Mark's Gospel with us. Come and ask me if you're not quite sure what to do. Now that may make you think there's no need for prophets today, and that would be a reasonable conclusion. We certainly don't need another Moses or another Jeremiah. But the category is still a helpful category to apply when you hear competing voices: one saying this is what God says, another saying. This is what God says. Like in the time of Jeremiah. So how how do we do it? Well, one passage that helps us sort this out, I think, is 1 John chapter 4. John talks about prophets going out into the world. And he's talking about people who go out saying, I have the spirit of God. I'm speaking by the spirit of God. Listen to me. But he says they're false prophets. How do you work it out? Well, he gives us two criteria. He's the first one. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that doesn't, doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Those teachers, those prophets who acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who's come in the flesh are from God. It's a strange phrase, that come in the flesh. Because it implies there's a pre-existence. Something was there that came in the flesh. Someone was there. The son was there already who came. I, I don't come in the flesh. I just came to be when I, I was infleshed. He's talking about incarnation. Listen carefully to what they say about Jesus. What does a true prophet do? Well, they don't, they don't come with new revelations. Thus there's the Lord. But they teach you about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh, who gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, as John says in, another page in that letter. The second criteria is this one. They're from God, these false prophets. Therefore, they speak from the viewpoint of the world. They say what the world wants to hear, and the world listens to them. That's what normally happens. But we're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Now, you've got to work out who the us is here, because it's not you and me. These are the apostles, those who saw Jesus, who touched him, who are eyewitnesses and earwitnesses to the Son, revealing God. A true prophet listens to the apostles so that what they speak is what the apostles taught. because God spoke through his Son. So they could pass on accurately the revelation of the son to us. So again, true prophets don't bring new revelation, exciting messages from God that only they know. Now, a true prophet listens to the apostles. They humbly study their Bibles because that's where the apostles have given us the testimony about the son who became flesh. They work hard to listen to that and understand it and pass it on faithfully. They tell you the old, old story of the Christ who died for you. They won't tell you what you want to hear, that God has plans to prosper you today, immediately in your life. No, they'll tell you that God has plans to prosper you after Christ's return in the new creation. Now, I hope your experience of Christian union, if you've come along before and and consistently is that in our Bible talks, in our small groups, and even in our conversations, that's what we want to do. We want to listen to the apostles and be true teachers and listeners to God's word. If that hasn't been your experience, please come and tell us. Help us work out how to do that better. If it is your experience, can I encourage you to listen? Listen to what God has said. Because as we open the Bible as we explore it and and, and explain its meaning and apply it to our lives, this is God speaking to us.
0: These are true prophecies from the living and true God. Amen.